you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Hello, my name is Janine Garner and welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Now, have you ever questioned yourself about whether you should or shouldn't be doing something? What about asking if you have the capability to become more? Or what about actually even asking yourself, what is it that you really want to do? Are you challenging yourself enough? Will you regret not trying more than you would regret not actually taking action? Nadine Champion is my guest on today's podcast, and she asked me that very same question, why not you? She is an incredible speaker who makes such an impression on all she is able to speak to and where she's able to share her message. Her life-changing 10 seconds of courage concept is a powerful call to action, challenging all of us to change our thinking in order to create our own success. And having overcome life threatening challenges, her story is one of perseverance um, and it's truly unforgettable in terms of uh, these very usable mindset tools that she shares with us. She's a highly sought after thought leader on courage, inner strength and resilience. And she's the protege of a legendary uh, martial arts master, the winner of a gold medal at the World Cup of Martial Arts. She's an undefeated champion kickboxer and a cancer survivor, which all add up to an incredibly unique perspective on how all of us can adapt to change, how we can overcome obstacles, and how we can win against the odds. Uh, please enjoy this incredibly inspiring, insightful, and jam-packed full of action uh, interview and conversation I had with the remarkable Nadine Champion. Nadine Champion, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to today's podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Janine. I'm really excited. Now, your story is absolutely incredible. Your, your learning through your sports and your life experiences and everything that you're sharing now around this concept of 10 seconds of courage is phenomenal. And we'll absolutely uh, get to your thoughts around courage very shortly. But before we get there, I'm more curious as to where this all started. Um, can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up or where this desire to do the martial arts uh, work came from? I wanted to be Daniel San. Do you remember the Karate Kid movie? Oh my gosh, it was one of my first. I actually Miyagi? had a picture of him on my wall. He was my first teenage crush. Oh, hilarious. So I, uh, you know, I saw that film and, and, you know, I was already kind of interested in that kind of stuff. And then I saw this film and I fell in love with the idea of martial arts. So I very much wanted to be the lady version of Daniel San. And, uh, you know, I really wanted a Mr. Miyagi. So it took me about a decade to find him, but I eventually found one. And so share with our listeners exactly which part of the martial arts you specialised in, became a champion in, and what is it that you loved about or continue to love about that sport? 
Well, when I was little, uh, my brother was being bullied at school. He's a couple of years older than me. So my parents thought, let's put him into martial arts class. And I wanted to go too. Of course, you know, way back in the day, my dad said, no, that's not very ladylike. So I got to go along and watch. And that lasted all of about 20 minutes of me vibrating on the sidelines going, please, 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 you know, can I try it? So, um, you know, eventually my mum let me into the class and, you know, afterwards that first session, you know, the instructor brought me over to my mum and said to her, uh, how long has Nadine been doing martial arts for? And we all looked at him a little confused and he, he told my mum that I was a natural at it. So I was pretty chuffed. I couldn't believe that he'd said that. Um, but that was kind of the moment that my real love for it was born. And I, I fell in love originally with, you know, the, what I saw as the art form, the beauty of it. Martial arts looked like dancing to me. It didn't look like the martial element so much, but very much, you know, I love the beauty of everyone standing in a perfectly straight line with their crisp white uniforms and, and the black belt against it. And, you know, I just saw it as, as a very beautiful dance as opposed to what it would later become for me, which was more of a combat element. Um, so I started in, in Taekwondo when I was 10. And from there, I did basically every martial art you can think of almost, um, you know, on the ground, standing up, in the ring, you name it. And what, what kept you going? What did you love about... I love that concept of the art form of the sport, of, of the practice. Yeah, I mean, originally um, there's a thing called kata, which is patterns or forms. So if you watch a martial arts movie, you'll usually see some very muscly guy with no shirt on, on a beach doing these moves with an imaginary opponent. That was the part of it that, that I really fell in love with. And that was the first thing that I became uh, a champion, in inverted commas, at um, competitively, you know, doing these movements under pressure with people watching. So I really fell in love with that part of it. And it took me, as I said, 10 years to find my version of Mr. Miyagi. He was a man named Benny the Jet Yukides. He's a very famous um, old school martial artist who lives in America. And, um, you know, I went into training with him and part of why he was so well known was that he was around when martial arts first transitioned over into what was full contact karate and then kickboxing back before kickboxing even existed. So he was known as a martial artist first and became known as uh, a, a fighter in the ring. So he, uh, sorry, go yeah. No, I didn't realise that there was that transition. So you've already taught me something this morning. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Things you never knew you needed to know about. So, um, yeah, I mean, he was one of the pioneers and he was, you know, he was the kind of person who was, uh, you know, I'd see his picture in a book when I was a little kid, but not know who he was. And he was this very interesting looking, uh, he's Native American uh, lineage. So he was this very unusual looking guy who was very famous as a martial artist, but then he became like the Rocky of kickboxing. He was very, very, very well known. He was undefeated uh, for nearly 30 years in four different weight divisions. Mm. So he was, he was incredibly well qualified in two different fields. Uh, so I went to him in the, in the martial arts field, but I was always kind of interested in what, what was happening with those guys over there in the ring. Like, what were they doing? And you know, I, to be honest, I was terrified of contact martial arts because I'd grown up in touch contact. And this is, you know, I guess where 
I've really found how this applies to people in the corporate world or even just in our personal lives. So often where we have a strength in one area, but we can see over there that, well, that might be something I can do. And we're not sure. And, you know, especially when someone's going to punch you in the face, it's not really something that you might be rushing off to try. So I spent a lot of time looking, wondering, could I do that? You know, Am I, am I able to? Maybe if I did that, I might be, be able to succeed at that as well. But I held myself back for a long time. But luckily, I had Sensei Benny challenging me. He never said, you know, you should go and get in the ring. But he did say, if you'd like to know more, let me know. If you'd like to challenge yourself, let me know. So I had somebody giving me the opportunity without pushing me. And can you remember what it felt like that first moment you did step into the ring and how you managed to overcome any anxiety or fear that you had at the time? Oh, I cried. Oh, mm. did I cry? <laughs> wow. So, you know, the thing I, when I first started doing it and I've, as a teacher and a coach over decades, I've realized that, you know, what I interpreted as my fear, what I interpreted as my own weakness and inability to perform the way I saw other people perform under pressure was actually just the natural reaction you're supposed to have in these situations. And I think that's where a lot of people misinterpret fear. So I spent a lot of time studying fear and uh, that's where all the work I've done on courage comes from. I went to university, studied criminology, looked mm. into what's what the kind of fears that we all share and, uh, you know, and spent a lot of time training people. And it wasn't until I started training, you know, in inverted commas, big tough guys, I realized that, oh, they cry too when you hit them in the face the first time. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things in life that we're, we're meant to be afraid of, that the natural response is to get emotional when you meet these challenges rather than, you know, if someone doesn't get emotional, we get a little concerned about them. Mm. It's not the natural response necessarily. And I don't mean out of control emotion, but it's meant to, you know, real challenge, facing real fear, it's very natural that it brings up a whole series of emotions for you. And what Sensei Benny was very interested in, and the reason I've trained under him for 25 years, is that he taught the external skill set of martial arts and kickboxing. But what really made me his dedicated student was he taught internal training, which is the mindset and uh, the emotional and spiritual part of martial arts that really is about learning how to handle your emotions under pressure, how to back yourself, and how to face your fear and take on challenges and really push to the highest level possible. So I'm imagining that there's many people listening to, to this podcast right now that are feeling that fear, um, given everything that we're currently working through globally. So as you, as you quite rightly said, I think the fear is probably coming from lots of different places for, for everybody. Uh, security, financially, jobs, families, health, etc., etc. Um, so, given your expertise is around and passion is around building a culture of courage, and your call to action is very much about challenging people to to be more courageous. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more around this concept and what it means and advice that you have for people that are listening in? Absolutely. You know, I've, I've found so much, you know, on a daily basis, I've become hyper aware of my own fears when I get stuck, when I hold myself back, uh, you know, and we all do this, you know, on a daily basis, there's something you might go to say 
and then hesitate. Or you might want to share an idea, you know, in a meeting at work. And there's that little moment that happens where, you know, and it's very natural. You check yourself. Should I share this now? Is now the right time? Is this idea developed enough? Should I say that to that person? What are the consequences going to be? Should I launch, launch this business? How do I pivot at a time like this? Um, you know, am I going to be able to handle the fallout of what's happening, say, with COVID? Mm-hmm. All of those things are very natural. But, you know, I, I think one thing that really is a, a sticking point for a lot of people is we're not necessarily taught how to, you know, confront our fear. We're taught how to barrel through it, but not necessarily how to grab it by the scruff of the neck, turn it around and interrogate it and see it for what it is to create strategies coming out of that and how to just get ourselves out of that neutral, that neutral position, like we're driving the car, because, you know, I think a lot of people spend more time than they realize stuck in that spot Mm. and, you know, and trying to reckon with the emotions that come with it, you know, otherwise we'd all be, you know, Brad Pitt, Bill Gates, we'd all be off, you know, at the, at the top of our fields, having, you know, propelled ourselves fearlessly through any and every challenge you know, life's not that simple. So for me, it's really about, you know, just, just that self-awareness of, am I really challenging myself as much as I could be? Is this the best that I can do? What else is in me? And I think that's one of the great challenges is knowing within yourself, we all have that gut feeling, that niggling in the back of your mind. Maybe I could do more. Maybe I could be more. Is there something I really want to try? Is there something I want to do that, I've, that I haven't yet done? And it's whether or not you have the courage to reflect on that and bring it forward instead of letting it stay at the back of your mind. Because, you know, when you look into, um, you know, the kind of studies that they've done with people who are, say, in, uh, in the last stages of their lives, one of people's greatest fears is that they haven't reached their full potential, that they have regrets at the end of their lives. And, you know, unfortunately, in my experience, as, as is happening for some people right now, when you're confronted with your own mortality, you get a very clear picture of what you failed to do, what you didn't try, where you wish you'd gone, things you should have said, uh, because, you know, we can't, control, we can't control when our time is up, unfortunately. Mm. You know, and everybody can add up how many days, weeks, years they've been on this earth, but very few of us get the privilege of knowing how many days, weeks, years we have left. And I'm a big fan these days of, you know, if you, if you want to try it, go for it. If you need to say it, find the courage to bring it forward. And so how do people find the courage? Cause it is quite a nebulous word that is often talked about, you know, be 1% braver, uh, be more courageous, um, face your fears and all of these wonderful terms that many of us may have even said ourselves, but we definitely uh, read about. Um, but how, how do people do that if they have that self-awareness and they realize that there is more, I can do this, but still the niggling fear, how do they turn that, that fear into courage to step forward? So Sensei Benny uh, I joke that he's a cross between Rocky and Yoda. You know, he's a very experienced person in so many ways in his life. He's had a very colourful life. Um, you know, he's been in a whole lot of Hollywood movies right through to being well-known in his, in his other field. He was somebody who sat me down in my early 20s and he said, why not you? Why can't you go and be a world champion? Why couldn't you be in a Hollywood film? Why couldn't you A, B, C, D, E, whatever it is that you want to do? 
A, who are you? B, what do you want? And C, why can't you make it happen? And when somebody who's lived such a big life looks you in the eye and asks you what you want and why it couldn't come true for you, I found it incredibly hard to come up with a good answer. Mm. You know, because he, I was talking to somebody who had made literally all their dreams come true. And he was saying to me, why, you know, why couldn't that happen for you? And it made me realize that I didn't, I'd put this ceiling over my life of what I was willing to aim for without even really realizing I'd done it. I think a lot of people do that. They, they just set a, a level that they're willing to work in and what they believe that they can achieve, you know, and you see people who aren't operating in that window and they seem crazy. I had a young man say to me yesterday, he wants to um, be a world champion mm. and he's been training for one year and he believes that that's his journey in life. And whether or not it comes true, I, I respect that he's willing to dream outside of that, that little bandwidth that feels comfortable. So I had Sensei Benny challenge me on it, ask me what I wanted. And then he, he didn't just leave me in discomfort. He was very good at giving me tools, strategies and exercises to do rather than just concepts like the bumper sticker, face your fears. Yay. Hands in the air. And I feel amazing, but I don't know how to do it. It's the practicality of how. So one of the tools he gave me that I've used time and time again, it's changed my life. It has literally saved my life is 10 seconds of courage. And he said to me, it's not just a concept. An idea is worth nothing without action. He said, it's like a tool. And and I think of it like throwing a card down on the table when you're about to win a game. You know, it's a tool that you can play. It's a card that you can play. And I, I have that moment of, you know, I can feel it. It's a physical sensation for me where I'm just about to say something or I know there's something that I want to do. Mm. And I liken it to the moment in a, you know, I, I fought in the ring as a kickboxer and a tie boxer. Uh, and, you know, I liken it to the moment where you're standing at the door of the dressing room. And we've all seen a film like that, or you can, I'm sure you can imagine what that, what that feels like, where in your, your dressing room, it's your comfort zone. You're safe. Your music's playing. You're in there with your friends. You know the challenge is outside, but while you're in that dressing room, you're safe. But then a moment comes, and I think we're at that moment culturally right now. Mm. We were in our dressing room at Christmas time. We didn't know what this year was going to be, you know, and the moment comes where you're standing at the door and you have a choice. You can either spend the next six months watching Netflix and eating, eating chips and trying to numb the whole experience, you know, and that is the right strategy for some people. But there are other people who have that niggling feeling. There's more in me. Now's my time. I could pivot. I could try this. Or if I don't, if I don't really act in my own best interest really powerfully right now, I could lose my business. Mm. So it's standing at the door of the dressing room and using that tool. Now's my moment. Do I go back in and live in my comfort zone? Or do I stand here in this moment and feel all of these, these difficult feelings under pressure? It's natural when you're about to step out into the ring to feel, you know, legitimate fear. You might get hurt. You might get a black eye metaphorically in your business if you step out there. You know, there are consequences. You might end up with a, with a championship belt wrapped around your waist or you might go to the hospital. So it's being able to make peace with, with the possible outcomes back yourself at the moment that matters and deal with reckon with the feelings that you have, even the physical feelings of stress and anxiety, 
I used to interpret those as weakness. You know, my kneecaps used to shake before I'd compete. And I thought that was because I was a chicken. Mm. Turns out it's an adrenal response, <laughs> you know, but it's no, it's standing there in that moment where you're turning from comfort and then you turn around and you see the bright lights and you see the crowd look at you and you know that this is your moment where you're either going to crumble or you're going to stand and deliver. And that's the 10 seconds of courage moment. It comes from within us. No one can force us to do it. And it really comes down to your belief system. In that moment, do you believe that you have what it takes to step out there and become what you may or may not be capable of becoming and being willing to take that risk? Wow. Could, I couldn't agree more. And just that whole concept, 10 seconds is almost doable as a concept anyway, because 10 seconds is such a short period of time to potentially step forward versus, versus stay still. Now you, you've also, it's, it's, it's not always been an easy ride for yourself either, not just in terms of pursuing your passion in the martial arts arena and the constant learning that, um, that you're, you're doing, but you've had to overcome some of your own life-threatening challenges as well and dig deep to find your own 10 seconds of courage. Can you share a little bit about that part of your journey and how that reinforced um, this, this passion that you have that actually the courage piece, the 10 seconds of courage will either help you move forward or if you choose to ignore it, you, you stay still. Absolutely. You know, I was, I spent a long time, uh, you know, pursuing this dream and I got to the top of my competitive career and, um, you know, there's a story I love to tell about a really challenging match. I had my first title fight where I went into the fight very injured and no one knew it was a big secret, but I remember, I'll never forget standing at the door of the dressing room and thinking now's my moment. I've always wanted to achieve this but I really felt a lot of doubt because when my moment came to achieve it, I was not in the ideal set of circumstances. And I think a lot of people might be going through that right now. <laughs> you know, when everything crumbles around you, what are you made of and how much self-belief do you have even when things get tough? So I knew that it wasn't just the 10 seconds of courage it took to walk out to the ring and try to win the title that night. It was really, uh, you know, a big gut check do I have the courage to back myself on my worst day? And that's where, you know, I owe Sensei Benny so much because he spent many years training me, not for my best day abilities. They were the given when, when the environment is right, when the circumstances are right, you should succeed. But what, how good are you? What do you do when the circumstances aren't ideal? When everything's going wrong, do you still have it in you to shine in those moments? And he trained me that way knowing that one day that would be what I was called to do from his own experience. So, you know, he gave me the opportunity to know that about myself before the moment came. And I think that's where a lot of people are, are finding the real challenge at the moment where, you know, they're, they're, they need to be able to perform under this pressure, but they may not have really seen clearly their own experience with it. We all have experience with it. It's just, we don't all have a Mr. Miyagi type person forcing us to write it down you know, so we get clarity on it. So I really recommend that people do that. Um, you know, just to, when they know they're going to need extra re resilience, it's a great time to sit down and write down, uh, you know, the kind of resilience you've needed in your life up until now to get more clarity. So I stepped out into the ring that day knowing I needed, uh, you know, I needed to call on all of the experience I'd had 
to that point. And, you know, it was that moment of 10 seconds of courage. The reason it's 10 seconds is that's about how long it takes to start walking. It's about how long it takes to speak the first sentence in a conversation, you know, to sign up for something, to put your hand up and start to speak your idea. It's, it's the, the first step mm-hmm. out of the dressing room, you know, and for so long Sensei Benny had said to me, are you afraid of getting in the ring? And I said, yes, absolutely. Like, I don't, I don't want to lose my brain cells. You know, I'm already funny looking enough. I don't want to mess my face up, you know? So he was saying it's really legitimate to be afraid to, to go and do that thing. But what people get caught on is the fear of the outcome, the fear of the actual event. But we spend so many days and hours worrying about that part of it. And we get stuck without actually taking the first step. We focus on the wrong part of the fear. Mm. And again, thinking about, you know, at the end of your life, will you regret not trying more than you regret what could possibly happen if you, if you do or don't succeed? So that was what got me to, to start walking out of my dressing room. Uh, you know, and it was those big experiences. I thought when I won that title, I knew it was my time. I knew I had to get in the ring that day, even if I was injured. I thought I had many, many years of competitive opportunities ahead of me. And what I didn't know that day was when I was weighing up, should I take this match? Should I not? Should I withdraw? Was that was my second last fight ever. I only got to have one more opportunity. I won a belt that I'd always wanted. It was one of those big, shiny Elvis ones. I loved it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I was really excited and I was feeling a bit lackluster afterwards. How many more times do I want to do this? And then the next thing you know, I was diagnosed with cancer. And it happened as quickly as I said it to you then. Like it was one minute my life was going this way. And the next minute I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of of blood Mm. cancer. Um, You know, and I think that that kind of screeching to a halt, oh my goodness, what happened to my life and my business is exactly where people are right now. You think you're going one way and then life absolutely slams the brakes on and you let, you know, for a lot of people, they're left standing there going, how did this happen? I can't believe this happened to me. What am I going to do? I never could have imagined. And for me going into that situation, uh, unfortunately, my brother had just passed away from lung cancer in the preceding six months. Um, So I was already, you know, feeling a lot of big feelings and, and looking at my life differently. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of days after his funeral, I got onto a plane, I put a backpack on my shoulder and I felt a little lump behind my collarbone. And I thought, what are the chances? I know that lump wasn't there before, you know, and there are those moments where I think a lot of people have had those moments or they've watched a loved one have those moments where you don't want to call the doctor. You don't want to find out the answer to, to that question. And I think a lot of people are having that gut feeling right now where they're, they're, they know that the road ahead could be really hard. It's really tempting to turn around, invest in the comfort zone and buy a bigger bag of chips. Mm. But if you do, you suffer the consequences. And what if, what if now is the moment that could really change your life? So it took playing the card again, that 10 seconds of courage for me to pick up the phone and call the doctor. And, uh, you know, Sensei Benny has always said to me, it's not a gimmick. It's not 10 seconds of courage is all you need and your life will improve. He said, 10 seconds of courage is the first step. If you can stay in it for 10 minutes in that uncomfortable feeling, then you might actually get somewhere. That might be what changes your life. It's not just say the thing and run away. It's have the courage to stay in the uncomfortable feeling 
and push yourself and find out what you can do. So, you know, I had to have six months of chemo and radiation and, and that taught me a lot about, um, you know, about my limits and what I could take. And I came out of, out of that experience uh, standing in the rubble of my life, if I'm really honest, going, who am I if I'm not my business? Who am I if I'm not my sporting career? Who am I? And, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be something that a lot of people have to, to reckon with in the coming months. So I'm imagining that having gone through that and even with the incredible uh, internal and external skill set training that you had, there, there would have been moments surely where you would have hit rock bottom and had to pull yourself out. It's, it's you know, surely it's not all... Um, that digging deep to find that courage isn't easy every time. Was there a moment where you actually ever felt like giving up and you had to dig that deep? I think of it as a giant face plant, personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that visually. I'm such a visual person. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, in the ring, Sensei Benny, when I, when I was going from touch contact to learning, you know, moderate contact all the way to full contact, I used to see these people in the ring and think I could never do that. But, um, you know, eventually I did. I wiped my tears and I kept going and I kept learning to the point where, you know, I, I literally broke bones in the ring, my own bones, unfortunately, and just didn't show it on my face. I just kept going, um, you know, and, and that was a level of, of toughness, you know, that I never thought I would breach but you know over time you you learn we sensei benny calls it glazing you know he said you you don't you're not either tough or not tough you're not either resilient or not resilient you you come in everybody comes in like a like a lump of clay you know and if you ever made like a, a bowl in pottery class in in primary school you know that it's porous you know you you put water in and the water seeps straight through it it drips out the other side but we put on a layer of glaze, you know, and we pop it in the kiln. And for me, the kiln was getting in the ring. And layer by layer, one millimeter at a time, you start to develop this harder shell. And he calls, um, you know, handling your emotions under pressure, which is the ultimate goal of getting in the ring. It has nothing to do with the sport. The ultimate goal is learning how to deal with yourself. Mm. Um, you know, so he said it, it's, it's your ability to hold water. Does it, do you, does it all just run through you under pressure or can you eventually learn through one layer of glazing at a time to hold water under pressure when everything's on the line, where your dreams, your safety, your health, the people you respect and love most in the world are all there witnessing your, you striving. Can you hold water in those moments? And I had learnt to do that in so many arenas in my life, but one thing I'd always backed myself on was my health. I'd always been fit and healthy. I, I was physically strong. I trained my body to do all of these, you know, really cool things that I enjoyed. And then at 37, I had my health taken away from me. So when I was having chemo, I was very, very weak, you know, and I'd never experienced what it felt like to be weak. Just like I'm sure some of your listeners are in situations in their businesses and their lives that they have never been in before. And it rocked me. It really rocked me because I, it made me realize how much I had a strong perception of myself as someone who was strong and capable. Mm. And I, I relied on that for a long time. So when that was very quickly gone, I was on shaky ground. And I did in my treatment, by the time I went 
for my last treatment, uh, four months of chemo. By the time I went for the last one, I broke completely. So unfortunately, life doesn't stop when, uh, you know, the big changes in your life happen, you know, like being diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. My everyday life didn't stop. So I was having a bad day the day mm. that I went for my last chemo and I just couldn't do it. Mm. They couldn't find a vein because my veins had collapsed from the previous treatments. And I'd always been a veiny little sucker, so mm. I just couldn't believe it. And I couldn't handle, you know, the size of the, the cannula they put in is like a drinking straw. So I couldn't handle the emotional and physical pain that day. I was exhausted and I broke. I ran out of the room and, uh, and just ran down the hallway. People were trying to, to stop me and I just said, I can't do it. Like, I don't want to do it. I'm done. And I slid down the hallway, uh, the wall in the hallway and just bawled my eyes out. I absolutely howled. And for someone who had perceived themselves and been perceived by the world as, as a strong woman, a strong person, I, all of my pride was gone, you know, and I literally couldn't take another step. So I found out what it felt like to quit. I found out what it felt like to break and really find my limit. But, um, you know, in those moments, I always knew I had a choice. And when I was learning from the touch contact to the full contact, Sensei Benny said to me, you know, you would get hit every now and again with a shot, especially a body shot, you know, they hurt. Mm -hmm. So you would end up folded over on the ground in the ring, your face down on the canvas. And Sensei would just say to me, he usually say quite quietly and gently, like, you have a choice. And it comes down to whether you're going to choose self-pity or whether you're going to cry your tears and then choose to get up again. Mm. And I can't say I passed that test every day. There were many times where, you know, I, I cried my way right out of the ring and then lost it. But, you know, over time we do get glazed and you do have to make a choice. And, you know, sitting in the hospital that day, I, I was bargaining with my life. You know, do I go and have this chemo and do the thing I don't feel strong enough to do? Or, you know, do I, do I sit here and feel sorry for myself and quit? And I don't think anyone would have blamed me at that point. But, um, you know, I've, I've never been more grateful for the, the voice that I've programmed into my mind. I chose Sensei Benny as the other voice that I wanted to program into my mind. And we all have someone like that in our heads. It's just whether or not you choose to turn the volume up on them. So, I, you know, I was very grateful that I heard his voice in my head that day when I was sitting on the floor in the hallway. And uh, I heard him say to me, he sounds a little bit like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I heard him say, Nadine, get up. And I couldn't do it. You know, and he used to say to me when I was learning the full contact, he'd say, it doesn't hurt any less if you close your eyes. Mm. And I was trying to close my eyes to the fact that I needed life-saving treatment because I felt like I couldn't do it. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some of your listeners now who are closing their eyes trying to brace for impact. Yeah. But, uh, you know, usually when we do that, you get hit worse. You've got to have the courage to kind of face the shot that you know is coming. And at least then you might be able to defend or minimize the impact of the blow. But I still couldn't stand up. It wasn't until, you know, the, the 10 seconds of courage idea came into my head. I, he had said that to me so many times and I'd never known which moment in my life I would need it the most. I had thought it was that day standing at the door of the dressing room to walk out to make my dream come true. But it turns out that was just another piece of experience on the road towards the moment where I needed it the most. 
And I looked down the hallway hospital in the hospital and I went, that looks so much like the hallways I've had to walk down to compete. Like this is the moment standing in the dressing room in the hallway going, you know, can I do it or not? And you know, the, the key thing with 10 seconds of courage, the thing I really love about it is that it's repeat as necessary. It's not a once only prescription. Mm. And the, uh, you know, the Navy SEALs have a great saying about you eat a, a, an elephant one bite at a time. You may not be able to eat the whole elephant, but if you do one thing, you're on your way. So I knew that I could walk down the hospital hallway back into the chemo room and that was my 10 seconds of courage. So I walked back in eventually and I was crying still. And I said, don't touch me. And no one did. Luckily <laughs> they knew what I did for a living by then. Um, you know, and I just sat there and I cried, but it wasn't until, you know, I felt strong enough. I said, okay, you can put the cannula in, but don't give me the chemo. Mm -hmm. You know, I just played that 10 seconds of courage card and I got closer to the edge of the door of the dressing room until I felt, okay, I'm strong enough now. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go for it. So, uh, you know, it really it literally saved my life. And I had to sit there for the next four hours trying to play 10 seconds of courage over and over again. But, um, you know, I'm very grateful to Sensei Benny that, you know, that he taught me a beautiful art form, but that he gave me some tools that I could use in the most important moments of my life. And 10 seconds of courage was really one of them. Oh, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think the, the gift that Sensei Benny has, has given you and that you have now subsequently passed on through being a guest on this podcast and sharing with my audience. But I know that you share uh, through your speaking work and the work you do in organizations is, is really leaving an incredible impact on so many people. And now more than ever, it's, it's needed. In the spirit of, of this, this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance, what, what would be your final message to our audience? Get out of your own way. Mm. It's something that I had to very much learn over the years. And, you know, the, when I was standing in the rubble of my life, one of my students said to me, would you do a TEDx talk if you had the chance? And uh, I didn't realize she was on the organizing committee for TEDx Sydney. And in that moment, one year after I had cancer, I was very, very vulnerable and an opportunity that I didn't even realize was an opportunity came my way. They asked me to be the closing speaker at TEDx Sydney at the Opera House. It was the worst moment of my life to say yes to it. I wanted to say no, and I'm sure so many people listening to this right now are having that moment, given what's going on with coronavirus. And you know, in that moment, I used 10 seconds of courage. I got out of my own way and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just gonna do my best. I'm gonna back myself, even though the circumstances aren't ideal. And uh, you know, that, that talk is on YouTube. If you pop in my name or 10 seconds of courage, you'll see it come up. And halfway through that speech, I can see the exact moment where my, my entire life changed, where my future became what it is now. I got the gift of, you know, being able to speak professionally. I got to write a book. I got to do all kinds of things that I never could have imagined just because I said yes over coffee with a friend. And I had no idea what my future held. So I really hope that, um, you know, that some of your listeners have a moment like that in, uh, in the six months in the year to come when we're all facing challenges and that, um, you know, they use that tool, that 10 seconds of courage tool, just say yes, get out of your own way, unblock yourself, walk out of your dressing room and see what the future holds for you. 
Nadine Champion, you are an incredible human being. Thank you so much for sharing with so much humility, honesty, truth, and vulnerability, uh, your message. And um, I will absolutely put in the show notes all of your links and uh, be grabbing myself my own copy of your book. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you. Thanks so much for sharing your thinking around 10 seconds of courage. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.